The term lean in has traditionally meant to shift one's weight forward, especially when it comes to sports, as in when someone leans in for a pitch or to hit a tennis ball or to take a charge in basketball. But since the founding of the organization Lean In, a nonprofit that encourages girls and women to pursue their ambitions, the term itself has progressively taken on a different meaning. Lean In now increasingly means to confront the challenges one faces without giving up or backing down, to strive to be the person one feels called to be, to embrace life. In her 2010 TED Talk on why we have too few women leaders, CEO of Facebook and author of the book Lean In, Sheryl Sandberg, talks about the problems that girls and women have embracing their goals. She points out that for men, success and likability are positively correlated, while for women, success and likability are negatively correlated. In other words, as men become more successful, they are better liked, but studies show that as women become more successful, they are deemed less likable. Women are more likely to be called aggressive, bossy, and even worse. No wonder women are more likely to lean back than to lean in when it comes to leadership and to pursuing their goals. No wonder studies show that women systematically underestimate their abilities. Now, the answer to unequal numbers of men and women in boardrooms or to unequal pay isn't for men to lean back. The answer is for women to lean in, to support one another in their struggles, and to embrace life and all of its complexity and grittiness, believing that when they do, they will find blessings hidden within the struggle, they will discover space enough for everyone, and they will make the world a better place. The truth is that when it comes to life, we all need to lean in, and not just when it comes to our careers. That's what struck me when I read today's gospel passage from Luke. It's the first day of the week after Jesus' crucifixion. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, have all been to the tomb where they found the stone rolled away, where two young men in dazzling white robes asked them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Even though the disciples had trouble believing the women's story when they returned, Peter ran off to the tomb where he found it empty except for the linen cloths. Finally, Jesus then appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, becoming known to them in the breaking of the bread. While Jesus' followers are gathered and talking about all these things that have happened that day, Jesus comes and stands among them. Of course, the disciples think they are seeing a ghost, a disembodied spirit. But Jesus goes to great lengths to show that he is anything but that. Look at my hands and feet, he says. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He then asks if they have anything to eat. And when they give him a piece of broiled fish, he pops it in his mouth and swallows it down. It's my favorite part of the whole passage. Often we think of Jesus as being present with us only in spirit. But when we envision our relationship with Jesus in that way, we build a wall between Jesus and ourselves, between God and the world, between the invisible and the material. It's as if the Word became flesh for a brief 33-year period before returning to its proper place in heaven. 
But the resurrection is not about the word returning to some distant heaven or even to a spiritual space that is nearby. Because it is not just Jesus' spirit that is raised from the dead, but his physical body too. True, it seems in the gospel that this new body can walk through doors, suddenly both appear and vanish, and ultimately be taken up into the heavens. But Jesus' resurrected body is a physical one, one that the disciples can see and touch, one that can down a piece of broiled fish in one fell swoop. And that changes everything. What Easter then tells us is that the incarnation is an ongoing process. Easter and Christmas are not two completely separate events. They both point to God being with us. The risen Christ is found not in some separate or distant spiritual realm, but in this physical, flesh-filled world in which we now live. The Word didn't just become flesh 2,000 years ago. It continues to become flesh today, over and over again, in a million different ways. That's why we find the risen Christ not by withdrawing from life, but by leaning into it in all its beauty and complexity and all its concreteness and grittiness. The risen Christ ate broiled fish, Luke tells us. Well, there's not much that's grittier or more physical than gastric juices and intestinal contractions. One of my favorite quotes from Frederick Buechner puts it this way. One of the blunders religious people are particularly fond of making is the attempt to be more spiritual than God. One of the blunders religious people are particularly fond of making is the attempt to be more spiritual than God. Even after Easter, we find Jesus, we find God, not in an imagined spiritual world that somehow is free from earthly desires or pain or temptations or ecstasy, but in this world. We find God not by leaning back from life, but by leaning into it. We find the risen Christ when we see the world with unflinching eyes, just as it is, and yet are fully present to it, engaging in ways that are life-giving. So does leaning in come with some risks? Yes, it does. Absolutely and always. We can't selectively numb our emotions. To embrace the world around us is to open ourselves to feel both pain and joy, to both suffer and celebrate with others, to know failure as well as success. To embrace life is to inevitably open ourselves to loss. But if Easter drives us to look for Jesus in the world around us, it also speaks a word of hope to us about the pain that we will find there. The good news of Easter is that the grave itself is found to be the place of resurrection. Those places in life where we suffer, the places where we experience loss, the places where we struggle to become the people we are called to be, those are the very same places where new life will ultimately be found, where new life will spring up. At the end of the day, everything, every bit of creation, every tangible item can be a window into the life of God. It can be where and how we experience the risen Christ. 
It's a truth we glimpse every Sunday when we come to the altar rail, receive the bread, and hear the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. When we sip the wine and hear the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Even after Easter, the word is made flesh in the world over and over again in a million ways. Of this, Jesus tells us we are to be witnesses, and he gives us his peace. In other words, don't be afraid, take heart, and simply lean in. Amen.